Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. At this time, we're happy to turn our Bible Instruction Time over to our brother, Ken Hardesty. Well, good morning once again. It's a pleasure to be with you again. This is our last Sunday with you uh, this year. And uh, it's always one of those things when, you, when you're gathering with saints that you love and have known for many, many years... You come to the last time you're going to see them for a while. You just do not know when the silver cord will be broken. You just don't know when the golden bowl will be broken. You don't know if I will ever see you all again. Oh, I know. In the Lord's, we'll see you in glory. We'll see you one day in glory if we don't see you here. But we don't know what the next day, year carries. I know the last time we were in Man of War, and you know, we were talking to... As I, as I closed that time, I said pretty much the same thing. And it was, you know, that Randy Amos had gone home so suddenly to be with the Lord. It was, it was one of those things you just did not expect. But yet the Lord knows and the Lord has his timing for us all. And I was remembering that verse in Isaiah chapter 46 where it says, And even unto gray hairs I will carry you. And he's carrying us through. Until the time when he calls us home, he is here. He will carry. He will carry us through. And it's wonderful to have that assurance. We're back in 1 Kings this morning, 1 Kings chapter 18. We have been doing a, our series on the uh, life of Elijah. And obviously we're in verse eight, uh, chapter 18 and we're nowhere near the end of the life of Elijah. So the likelihood that we will get through uh, until his being caught up in the whirlwind, uh, it, we will likely get there in the course of today's message. But we, we recognize, we studied before, and we've seen that in, in divine revelation, in the words that God has given to us, we see that God communicated with Elijah seven times. Now, we, he may have communicated with him other times. He may have spoken to him other prophecies. He may have spoken to him in other ways, but the Spirit of God has given to us in the in inspired word seven times when he spoke to Elijah. And then the rest of the time, he walks by faith. And that's where we find ourselves. We have the Word of God. We have the truth of the Word of God. But we recognize that we must indeed walk by faith. Walk by faith. So we're in chapter 18, and it reads this way. I'm going to read the, the first 19 verses. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go and present yourselves to Ahab, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had set said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water, 
And to all the brooks, perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned, that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, He is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find him. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah, sir, he will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Abadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals, and therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at the at Jezebel's table. And the Lord allowed his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Now we have seen Elijah at the commandment of the Lord move from place to place. We remember that, that he wasn't commanded to go present himself to Ahab the first time. We don't see that command anywhere in Scripture. But we see that the passion of Elijah for the things of God, for the Lord God, moved him in such a way to go before Ahab and to say to Ahab, it will not rain any longer on this land until I say so. And you remember referring back to the to the portions in, in Deuteronomy 28 that was speaking about the curses. Because of their disobedience, because they had walked away from God, because they were now worshiping the Baals and worshiping, worshiping the Asherah, worshiping a plurality of other gods, such as Mot, that we mentioned uh, uh, in, in one of our last lessons as well, that now there was not going to be rain. And God commanded, and the first words that we heard from God to Elijah was, go and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, and I will care for you there. And the ravens bought him food, and the brook of Cherith was there for water for him, brought meat and bread to him, and he was satisfied there, hiding alone by himself, while the Lord encouraged and strengthened him. Then the water dried up, 
And we went through that last week. The water dried up. And when the water dried up, then the second time the Lord spoke to Elijah came. And he said, now get up and go to Zarephath. And there I have commanded a widow. And she will care for you. And we saw last week that the widow had no idea that she had been commanded. There's no evidence that the woman understood what had gone on. But in the providence of God, he placed that woman right at the gate, right where Elijah could find her. But the, but the point is that he sent now Elijah from that secure little place down by the, down by Cherith, the brook Cherith, sent him like 85 miles going up to where Zarephath was, just south of Sidon, where the was the heart of Baal worship in Phoenicia. Sent him right to the heart of Baal worship, right into a city where, where uh, Jezebel was well known in Sidon, where her father was well known, right into the heart of the enemy's territory, right into right into Baal's home turf, he sends Elijah. And he says, go to where I have sent you. And I wonder as Elijah was walking along those 85 miles plus on his way to Zarephath, was he thinking? What was he thinking? What was his, what was his, the thoughts that were running through his mind? Well, Scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we we recognize that he knew where he was heading. He knew where he was going, that where the Lord had directed his heart. And now he was going to be in a place where God would protect him and provide for him again, but in the heart of enemy territory. In the heart of enemy territory. He was walking toward that new destination by faith. Just as he had walked down to, to Cherubim at the word of the Lord by faith. He was trusting God, trusting the Lord to provide for him as he moved in that direction. But God was at work. God is always at work in the walk of faith. God was working. He's about to enter into the midst of the territory of Zarephath. Have, have you ever felt as Elijah surely felt, have you ever felt that you're dwelling in the midst of enemy territory? Have you ever felt that way? Surely you have, because surely you are. We are all dwelling in the midst of enemy territory. All around us, the enemy is at work. All around us, we see his influence in our culture. We see his influence in the, in the, in the uh, lives of men and women. We see his influence in the school systems. We see his influence, even though the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, we also recognize it is under the, under the sway of the evil one. And we all are walking in enemy territory. By faith, trusting in the Lord of glory, trusting in the one who has called us, trusting in the one who carries us through and in the midst of enemy territory. We were once members of that race, if you will. 
We were once those who were far off. We were once those who were a part of the enemy's people. But God redeemed us through the precious blood of his son. And now we are strangers in a strange land. We are pilgrims moving through this land, heading home to glory. But we are right here now. We are right here now in the midst of the enemy's territory. We are surrounded by those who would oppose him. We are surrounded by those who oppose us. But yet in the midst of all of that, we still have a sense of security, a sense of God's presence, because he has promised us that he would never leave us. He will never forsake us, even in the midst of enemy territory. And so it is true with Elijah. So it is true with him. Even in the midst of enemy territory, where Baal worship was prominent, he felt a sense of the call of God to be where God had called him to be. We will feel the effects of the world around us. We will feel the effects of the world around us. We just cannot let the world around us shape our thinking. We cannot allow the world around us to shape our thinking. We can't allow it to form within us ideas and philosophies and pluralisms that the world has. We can't allow the world to shape our thinking. We must live outside the conformity to this world, not being conformed to it, but allowing the Spirit of God to conform us to the image of His Son while we're living in the midst of it. Now, we may be confounded sometimes. We may be confused sometimes in, by the things that surround us. When we have no answers for the, for the events that happen to us and happen in our lives. It's rather easy to become cynical. It's rather easy to become delusion. But in those times, when we know that God has allowed these things, that God has ordained these things that have happened to us, and all around us we learn to accept His will and to walk in that will, waiting for Him, waiting on Him for the next step. And here is the next step for Elijah. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab. The third communication, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain. And I will send rain. There by the brook Cherub, he learned about the provisions of God. There in, the, in Zarephath, he learned about the, the provisions of God and the power of God. In the raising up of, the, of that widow's son from the dead. He learned about the power of God. And now he is called to go once again and present himself to Ahab. You know, in the narratives that we get in the scripture, we often have what, what we might call... Um, I, I call them background people. I don't know what you, what you would call them. But in the scripture, there's often what we call background people. Now, the background people are not unimportant to the story. In fact, very often the background people are the core of the story and the purpose of the story. And in, um, in among this narrative as it's flowing along, the main narrative is, is 
Elijah and what the Lord is doing in Elijah's life. But God has another prophet. He has another man, Obadiah. And Obadiah has, the scripture tells us, he has a fear of the Lord as well. He greatly fears, he greatly reverences the Lord God. And his environment is very different, isn't it? Elijah was like a full-time prophet. He spent all of his time as a prophet, protected by God, moved by God, directed by God. And here was Obadiah, a prophet of the Lord. But where was his ministry? In the civil government of Ahab, working in Ahab's house. The one who looked over and oversaw everything in Ahab's house. Talk about being right in the middle of enemy territory. Here was Obadiah, placed by God, right in Ahab's house. You know, you think of Queen Esther, and you remember the words, Perhaps for a moment like this, you have been placed here. Perhaps for a moment like this, to protect God and to protect God, protect the people of God, to save the people of God. And so Obadiah, in the very, in the very court, as it were, of Ahab, in the very house of Ahab, he hears of the slaughter of the prophets of God by Jezebel. And he, in a moment like this, takes a hundred of them and, and takes them out and spares them and puts them in caves and cares for them and supplies their need. In that need. And here he was. Here he was as a, as a prophet in the very house of Ahab being used by Ahab. And now this narrative, this part of the narrative comes upon us. Ahab is hoping to spare the cattle. He's hoping to spare the horses and the mules, which he would use in battle. He's hoping to spare the cattle, the livestock. And so he says to Obadiah, the, the famine is severe. Go and look for by the water springs and see if you can find any grazing land for the cattle any grazing land for the horses and the mules. I will go this way, you go that way, and we'll see what we can find. There was trust in Obadiah by Ahab. He trusted him. And Obadiah went out. And as he's looking around, it says, suddenly Elijah was before him. What that suddenly means, I do not know. But it wasn't expected by Obadiah. He wasn't expecting to find Elijah as he was out in the wilderness looking for grazing land. But there he was before him. And he falls down at Elijah's feet. Is that you, my Lord, Elijah? Is that you, my master, Elijah? It is I. It is I. Go tell your master. Go tell Ahab that Elijah has come to present himself to him. And he jumps to the conclusions, doesn't he? He does just what the woman did at Zarephath. I mean, Zarephath. He says, what? What are you telling me? 
Are you telling me you want me to go tell Ahab that you're here? And when I get back, you won't be here. And then he's going to kill me. For what sin are you accusing me that you are going to have me killed by Ahab? Remember the woman of Zarephath said the same thing. Have you come here to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he had to convince him. And he, he used his story, didn't he? Have you not heard what I've done? Have you not heard how the Lord has used me? We are in enemy territory. How has the Lord been using you in the midst of this culture, in the midst of this society, in the midst of people all around you who are not those who believe and walk in the things of God? Are we those who are committed? You know, we have it even within our own civil government. There are those men and women that are there who know and love the Lord that you know and love. And they are in the midst of all that corruption, in the midst of all of that politic, and they are seeking to live for God. Do you think that's easy? Do you think it's easy for them? Do you think it was easy for Obadiah to live there in the midst of all of that? Trusting and living in integrity before God? I am sure it was not. I'm sure it was a difficult thing for him to see all of the sin, all of the degradation all around him, and yet desire to live for the glory of God. My wife just glanced over at the clock to remind me that it's time to stop for now. And so we will. We'll pause for now and we'll come back. We'll review just a little bit on Obadiah because there's just a few more things. And then we're going to move on to the crowning thing of, of Elijah's life, to that time on Mount Carmel when he demonstrates the power of God. He sees demonstrated the power of God in his life and then the result of that. So let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for all that you are and all that you've done. We're thankful, Father, for each one. pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us. We pray that you would be honored and glorified. We thank you for food, for this little uh, time of fellowship together. We give you thanks for it. And now for these announcements and for our day ahead, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture reading this morning is 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll start in verse number 20. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 20. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it up, and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox, and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's a good idea. <laughs> 
So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he's a god. Either he's occupied or gone aside, or he's on a journey, or perhaps, perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. May the Lord bless the reading. Well, good morning again. Looks like you're all still here. That was a good thing. You know, you, as a speaker, as a preacher and teacher of the Word of God, which, you know, I have been now for 55 years, unbelievable as that may seem, that uh, you have times when you just feel like, man, that just didn't go very well this morning. I didn't feel. Do you ever feel that way, Don? It's just feel, you feel like, you know, I prepared and I worked and I studied and I got through this and, and it just feels like it laid flat on my mind and I've been so distracted lately, so distracted with so many things. But I pray that the Lord will use his word, pray that the Lord would use us as individuals and use me this morning as he speaks to our hearts about this great story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. We read the story earlier and I want to read just a couple of verses over again. So it says in verse 20, So Ahab sent for the children of Israel and gathered all the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter or hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. Let's pray together. Father, again, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the stories that we get here of men and women that you used for your glory and for your honor. We ask, Father, that you would speak to our hearts through these incidents in the life of Elijah today. We pray that you would bless your word to our hearts. We commit ourselves to thee in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So Elijah has called all the prophets of Baal to come to Mount Carmel for a test. He says, get them all together. I am alone and a prophet left in Israel. Now, we know that wasn't true. We'll find that out later on. But he claims he is the only one left among them. And sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes in situations which you are in in your own life, you feel like you're the only one. You're in school. You're in in a group of 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 your business partners. You're in a group of people at a jail. You're in a group of others and you feel like you're the only one that proclaims the name of the Lord. You're the only one that lives for God. Everyone else is going their own way, doing their own thing, promoting their own things, and you stand alone. You feel that way sometimes? You feel like you're alone in this world sometimes? We know it's not true. 
We know we have brothers and sisters who encourage us and strengthen us. We know that God is with us and never leaves us and never forsakes us. But there are times when you just feel like I'm all alone. There's no one here to succor me. There's no one here to see my side and understand what I believe and how I believe. And so was Elijah. He confronted them and he said, Meet me now at Mount Carmel. Bring all the prophets of Baal. All the prophets of Asherah, <coughs> who eat at, Je- at, at Jezebel's table, bring them all up to Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel, from where he met Ahab, would have been another considerable walk for all of them. And now you have this group of people. These are those background people that I was talking about earlier. All of these people. These are the center of all his ministry. These are the ones he's trying to reach for the Lord. We don't receive their names. We don't have a list of all of the names of all of these people who came up to witness this event on Mount Carmel. We do not know who they are, but God knows every one of them. He knows every one of them. And as they're called to come out to Mount Carmel, they make the trek across all those miles, up into those great, that great mountain range called Mount Carmel, over by the sea, where you could take a, a look out of Mount Carmel, look down all over the beautiful valley of Jezreel. You could look over all the beauty of the ocean or the, or the sea that was beyond. You could see all the fertileness of what God had provided for His people. But up on that mountain, you would also see altars that had made, been made and raised up to Baal. You could see Altars that had been raised up to the Ashtoreth. You could see altars in all of those places because Baal worship was prominent even on Mount Carmel. You remember that was a limestone place. There was a lot of limestone caves where David hid himself when he was running from Saul. It was a prominent place in all of Israel. And Elijah called all these prophets of Baal, come up into where you feel comfortable. Come up to where you feel comfortable. Come up to Mount Carmel. You have altars there. You've worshipped there many times before. I think they felt like this is to our advantage. This is to our advantage. We're going to go up to Mount Carmel. And we are going to see Baal do some amazing things on Mount Carmel. Why else would they have agreed to it? Why else would they have agreed if they knew, well, nothing's going to happen. We're going to, Baal's never, never answered us before in this way. He's never done this before. And he's the storm god. You remember from our last lessons. He's the one that brings rain. He's the one that brings the storms. And it's in the dry period of time right now. So maybe he is still dead. Maybe Mot has killed him and Erot has not come yet to raise him up from the dead. But maybe if we shout loud enough, Maybe if we cut ourselves enough, maybe we ourselves can enter into that place of the God Arna and wake him up and he'll bring lightning down. After all, that's what he does. He's the storm God. Can he not bring fire down? This is our advantage. This is home field advantage, man. We are going. If we can go to Mount Carmel and we can prove once and for all that Baal is God, then we'll put away this guy, Elijah. We won't have to listen to him anymore. And then it says, Ahab sent for the children of Israel. Children, come see. Come see who is God in Israel. Come see. 
You have been living your life in a pluralistic society. You have been living your life where you're, you see the worship of Baal, you see the worship of Ashtoreth, you see the worship of all of these other things, and you've included Yahweh among them. You have not made him alone. You have not seen him alone as the only true God. You have added to your belief all of these other things. Let's put it to the test. And let's see who is God. Let's see who is really God. And he calls all the children of Israel, these people whom he's trying to reach and turn back, turn their hearts back toward the Lord. And he gathered the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people. These are the people of Israel. To all the people. And he says these famous words, how long will you falter between two Opinions. And that word falter, as we all know, means it has this idea of limping. It has this idea of limping. Why are you limping between two things? It's like you're not sure of either. Well, is, Joel, is he God or is Baal God? And they're kind of limping along, hesitating between two ideas that they've been fed over all these years. Since the time of of the separation of the kingdom, where all of these idols, all of these things were coming in. Who are we to believe? And they're going back and forth between two opinions. Why are you going back and forth between two opinions? If Yahweh, if Jehovah is truly God, then follow him. And if Baal is God, well, then follow him. But stop being held between these two things. Make a commitment. Stand up. Who is on the Lord's side, as Joshua would say? Who's on the Lord's side? And he's asking the people of Israel. He's asking the people, why why are you limping back and forth between these things? And I suppose the question could be asked today, couldn't it? The question could be asked of our hearts, could be asked of the church today. Why are we limping between between two things? Between the things of the world, which so draw at us and that we're so a part of and so want to be a part of and so want to be accepted by. Or between the Lord and all that he has promised and all that He is, and all He can supply, and the joy and the peace that He alone can give. When you're trying to fill it up with all these other things, He alone can bring you the peace and the joy that your heart is yearning for. Why are we limping sometimes between two things? If the Lord is God, then follow Him. Not haltingly, Not limpingly, not hesitantly, but following him with all our hearts. It's easy to sing about, isn't it? We were just singing about it. And I love the words of this song. And we've all sung it many times over the years. But, But listen to some of these words again. Oh, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee. And so all of us in this room would say, yes, we have given ourselves to the Lord Jesus. He is now our Lord. He is now our master. He is the one who owns us. For for thou in thy atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. 
My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for thee alone. That's this question. That's this question. We halter between two opinions. If the Lord is God, then follow him with all your heart. Give yourself wholly over to him. Completely over to him. Nothing held back. Giving ourselves wholly unto him. Because he gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. Why halter between two opinions? Why falter between the two? If the world is what you're after, then go get it. Seek it. Follow it. Do whatever you need to do to obtain everything you want in the world. But if it's God that you're after, and it's the Lord that you're after, well, then you commit everything to him and then go out and pursue your life. With him at the head, with him at the helm, with him at the wheel. Him leading and directing and guiding his will to be done. Being your desire and my desire in our lives. I was just talking earlier, and uh, I guess with Dennis and Bob, we were talking about talking about you know uh, this whole idea as as we get older, and I don't know if this is true with all of you, but as we get older, it appears to me because of the experiences of our lives, because we have gone through so many things in life, we have faced the hardships, we have faced the joys, we have seen our children raise up, we have seen them go on for the Lord, we have seen some fall away, we have seen all of these things happening in our lives, that we've come to a point in our lives where it is much easier for us to now say, Thy will be done. It's true, isn't it? It's easier now than it was when I was in a youth. When I was a youth, it's easy to sing about thy will be done. But we already had ideas in my own will that I wanted to get done. We were talking about how we would always talk about the rapture, how excited we were. We wanted to see the Lord come when we were just young people. But it was always like, oh, I want the Lord to come soon. But can I please get married first and have a family and have children? I really want to experience that before you come. But if you allow that, that would be great. Have we got to the point in our lives where it is, thy will be done. Whatever it is, whatever may come, the hardships, the loss of loved ones, the loss of relationships, the hard times that come into the life, has our heart learned to say, thy will be done. And will not falter anymore between two opinions. If the Lord, he is God, if he is God, then I will follow him. Why would you not follow him if you know, if you know the God of the Bible? And you've seen his power, you've seen his splendor, you've seen his majesty in the scripture, you've seen his promises, you've read of his promises, you know what the end is like. You know that judgment is going to fall on this world. You know that we're going to be caught up to be with him forever. You know that we're going to enter into the new heaven and the new earth one day after this is all melted away with a fervent heat. And we were going to live with him forever and ever. Why would we want anything else but that God? That God as the head and master of our, of our lives. I am not the master of my destiny. He is. He's yours. And he's mine. Why halt? 
Why flounder between two opinions? If he is the Lord, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered not a word. That's a startling little statement, is it? Sometimes we might read right over it, but it's a startling little statement. You have heard of the Lord. You have heard of his mighty acts. You have heard how he delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think. You have heard all the mighty things that God has done. Will you not follow him? Answer not a word. What caused them not to answer? Scripture doesn't tell us. Was it fear? Was it fear that the ones around, the prophets of Baal, was it fear that Ahab, was it fear that Jezebel, was it fear that others might hear them say, yes, the Lord alone is God, and suffer possible death for that as the other prophets had? Was there fear in doing Was there uncertainty in their own mind? Let's, let's wait until after this contest is done. Then we'll make our declaration. Let's wait and see what God does. Then we'll make our declaration. If, if he's God, then he'll send the fire and then we'll believe. If Baal is God, he'll send the fire and he'll believe. And either way, we'll, we will hold our reservation or we'll hold our, our decision until after the contest is done. You know, there are men and women that live their lives like that too. They live their lives like that. Yeah, I believe in God. I, I, believe, I believe in God. But I'm, I'm just holding my cards close to my vest. You know, I'm not sure I believe everything that the Bible says you know, about him. I'm not sure I believe this. I'm not sure I believe that. But I know there's a God. I believe there's a God. And one day, one day the cards will be laid on the table. Did you believe? Was your heart given over to the Savior? Were you saved? Were you saved? Decisions. We make them every day. Decisions. And here was a time for decision to be made on behalf of the people, the people of God. And they uttered not a word. Then Elijah said to these same people, to these same people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. And then he challenges them, as we've read already. Let them take two bulls. Let them choose one. Cut it, and, cut it and be ready for a sacrifice to be laid on the altar. Put it up on the altar, but don't put any fire under it. And we'll call. they can call upon their God. I will call upon the Lord. And the people answered. I like that translation. I like that translation. The people answered and said, that's a good idea. After all. Of course, the way, the way it says it here is, it is well-spoken. Or you might, you might put it this way. That's a clever idea. That's a clever idea. Let's try that and see what the results will be. What a good idea. And the prophets of Baal thought it was a good idea too. There was no objection to it. It was like, this will be great. And they go up on Mount Carmel. They all go up to Mount Carmel. And they prepare the altar. And Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourself. Prepare it first. For you're many. Call on the name of your God. Put no fire under it. So they took the bull and they prepared it. And they began calling on Baal. 
to hear me, hear us. All those voices. Can you imagine 850 voices going up? Crying out to Baal. 850 voices. 450 for for Baal, the 400 for the Asherah, all 850 voices up on Mount Carmel shouting out to Baal. Boy, that must have been something to, to witness, wasn't it? And all the people of Israel around listening, listening. All the noise, all the shouting. But there was no voice. There was no answer from heaven. There was no fire that came down. There was not even a voice that spoke from heaven. There was no one to answer. It's just like in the world. You don't get answers from the world, do you? You don't get answers from the world. The world will try and feed you answers. The school systems and the universities will try to feed you answers. But the answers are not found in the world. The answers are not found in the altars that we set up. The answers are not found in gods of this world. The answers are found only in Christ. Only in the God of the Bible are the answers found. No one said anything. No voice came down from heaven. So at noon, they must have believed and still believed. Well, we weren't loud enough. We didn't do enough because Baal's still sleeping. He's still dead. Remember, we, we told you about how that worked. Baal is still dead. He's going to need to be woken up in order to bring rain, in order to bring storm. So let's start doing what we've always done before when we needed this. Let's start cutting ourselves. Let's start making this. You know, I've seen these kind of things. You know, when, when, you're, when you serve overseas and you're in missionary work, sometimes you run into these places where you see this kind of stuff happening. I mean, I've, I've been in Kanyas where I've seen men and women taking taking pigs, slitting their throats, draining the blood, taking the blood and sprinkling it on their houses and, and mixing it with rice wine and drinking it and calling upon their gods, calling upon their gods, banging pots and pans, marching around the neighborhood, banging pots and pans and crying out to the evil spirits to deliver them because someone had died or someone had had, had a misfortune and they were crying out to the evil spirits to chase them away, to give them good spirits, blood, everywhere, on the houses, in the, in the wine that they were drinking. And these men began cutting themselves and crying out to God, crying out to Baal, their God, crying out that he would bring the fire. But nothing happened. And then Elijah, after noontime came, they'd been there all morning, Elijah says, and he gets a little bit, he's starting to have a little bit of fun with this now. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully by any means, but it's clear that Elijah was mocking. The scripture tells us he was mocking them. So he, he's looking at them dancing around. He's looking at them cutting themselves. He's looking at all the stuff that's going on. And he says, cry louder. You, you better get really loud because he's not waking up. He's not waking up. Cry loud. Because if he is a God, either he's, he, maybe he's off meditating somewhere and he's in deep meditation. You need to cry a whole lot louder if you're going to wake him up. Or maybe he's busy. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's off journeying around. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe you need to call him back. Get him back here in time to, to answer you. Perhaps he's sleeping. Maybe he's sound asleep. And that was a more likely one. He was dead. Jehovah is not dead. 
Jehovah did, did, did not face death. He's not dead. He's alive. And that was one of the things that he was going to point out. So Elijah said, to all, and then it says that they prophesied until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then I can imagine a silence. All the prophets of Baal, prophets of Asher, now have done their best, and a quiet comes upon the people. It's evening now. It's time for the evening sacrifice, which was to be offered up morning and evening as a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. And as the evening sacrifice came, Elijah says to all the people, all these background people, again, who are faltering between, hesitating between two opinions, needing to have some closure, needing to understand who really is the Lord. Is, is, the, is Yahweh truly the Lord? Or is Baal the Lord? Well, they've seen that Baal did not answer. They saw there was no response from Baal, and he calls the people together. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord had been torn down. The altar of the Lord was, all the temple, all the altars of Baal were standing. But the altar of the Lord, the place of worshiping the Lord had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, each for the tribes of Israel, and built a new altar. He built a new altar from these stones. He took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around it. Now, he's becoming even bolder, isn't he? He's becoming bolder. He said, you know, I can just build this altar and put the and put the, uh, the sacrifice on it and call down fire. But I'm going to even show you how great God is. I'm going to dig a trench all around this. And I'm going to fill it with water. Go ahead. Dump the water pots over the, over the sacrifice on the altar. Dump the water pots. They dump them all. Do it a second time. They dump it all. Do it a third time. Dump it all. And the trench fills up with water. The sacrifice is soaked. The wood under the altar is soaked. And I, I can imagine that the prophets of Baal were kind of saying... <laughs> How you're going to start a fire now? <laughs> Let's see you get a fire going now. You just drenched the whole thing. You're not going to be able to start a fire now. You know, there's nothing you can do to start a fire now. And that was the point. He put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, fill your water pots. And they poured it over the sacrifice three times. And the water ran down the altar and ran and filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, this is verse 36, Lord God of Abraham. You notice what it says. He says, the, he said, he said. He wasn't crying out with a loud voice. He wasn't shouting. He wasn't cutting himself. He wasn't doing anything but speaking to the Lord God of Israel. And he spoke to the Lord God of Israel. And he said, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. You see that that little verse is important and sometimes we, we miss it. 
But he, he communicates with, in the written narrative, under inspiration of God, seven communications of God. But when, a, when Elijah went before Ahab and made this challenge, it was by the word of the Lord. The Lord had designed this. The Lord had given Elijah the idea of making this sacrifice. The Lord put it in his heart to do it. It was by the word of the Lord that he did this. And he set it up. And he had it ready. And he said, hear, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. And then, then, Oh, man, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? I mean, I, that would have been that would have enough to scare your socks off. Man. It would have been enough to frighten you. And it certainly frightened the people who were nearby. It was quiet. He calls out to the Lord. And suddenly, out of heaven comes this fire. And it comes down and it consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the wood. It consumes the altar. It licks up all the water in the trench that is there. And what do the people say? Well, I'm still faltering. I'm not sure. I'm not There was no doubt in any of the people's mind at that point. The Lord, you are God. The Lord, you are God. How can there be any other? Did you see what he just did? He is God. He is God. There is no other. How long was it before they drifted back? After seeing the miraculous power of God, how long was it before they drifted back? How long was it before Elijah himself, hearing that Jezebel was after him, ran as fast as he could to get away? We don't have time to look at that story. But how amazing it is to see the power of God And we have seen the power of God in our own lives. We didn't see fire come down from heaven and consume a sacrifice. We saw a person who was dead in their trespasses and sin made alive in Christ. We saw one who was dead ourselves. Each of us as individuals saw God do a miracle in your life, in my life. And He took your life and He saved you by His grace and He transformed you inside and He made you a new creation in Christ. And I remember those early years when those things happened. Man, you were so on fire and so encouraged and so excited about the things of God. And then the years go by and the time goes by. And we get involved in careers, we get involved in housekeeping, we get involved in things, and the things that were once so miraculous to us fade in our mind and are replaced by other things. May it never be said of us. May it never be said of us. Is the miracle that the Lord did in your heart and life still as vibrant and as real to you today? Even more so because over the years you've grown to know Him in deeper in deeper ways. So that now, He burns in your heart. He burns in your heart. Like those two men on the road to Emmaus, did not our hearts burn within us? And when we read His Word and we study His Word and we have time alone with Him, do our hearts still burn within us? Or is it just an assignment to be fulfilled? 
I need to do my daily reading today, so I'm going to get it done because I have many other pressing things to do. Or is that the pressing thing to do? And the other things are circumstantial. Where do we stand after seeing the miracle of God performed in our own lives? The Lord, he is God. There is no other. And we are his forever. Forever. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for what you have done in our lives. For the miracle you have performed in us. And taking us who were lost in our sins. Heading to a lost eternity. And you saved us. You snatched us as, a, as it were a brand from the burning. And you've given us new life in your son. And Father, you spoke to those people all those millennium ago. And they could see your power. See you send down that fire from heaven. And they fell on their faces and cried out that you are the only Lord. And yet how quickly they fell away again. Father, we are not of that kind. We are not of those who fall away. We are those who have been saved and saved forever. May we live for your glory. May we live for your honor. May we not fear the world. May we not fear the things of the world. Because it is passing away. And we know that we will one day be with you. And so, Father, encourage us by these words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.